0: Good morning. Good morning. Before I, uh, I start, I just wanna start with a prayer this morning. Lord, I just uh, pray this morning that you will give me the words to say and that they'll be your words and that you'll give us uh, ears to hear and to understand. In your name, amen. amen. So last year, I began to realize that I was, as I was reading the Bible, that what I believed the Bible was saying And what the Bible actually said was not the same thing. Hopefully none of you have ever experienced such things. (laughs) It stretched me. It challenged me. And that is the first of today's sermons. Uh, And then there will be one next week also. Um, Because it challenged me so much, I am going to, at the end, do something super crazy. I am going to open it up for questions. I know. You look at the topic and you're like, really? Yeah, really. Really? Um with that being said, because I'm gonna open it up for questions, I get to quiz you first. (laughs) So first question for today. Maybe try it again. Well, this worked earlier. All right, Zadek, you're in charge. I give up. Okay. Here we go. Um when are you alive? A, when you are in the grave, dead? Or not A? <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't too hard. Maybe, maybe you don't like those two options. We'll come back to it. Uh, question two, why aren't you taken to be Je- with Jesus when you become Christian? A, heaven's processing department is like so many places here on earth that are backed up with paperwork and will get around to you at some point. Or B, there is something else we are to be doing once we become Christians. <laughs> hopefully, you're leaning you're leaning towards B on both of these, but you know, hopefully, we'll get you there. All right. So um, Jesus makes some really interesting claims in the New Testament. Um, one of them today I want to talk about is the temple. Jesus claims to be the new temple. John two eighteen to twenty two. Jesus is talking with the Jews and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He makes a similar claim in John one forty-three to 51. Um, credit to the Bible project for this nice image of Jesus claiming to be a temple. Um, next slide. Uh, Jesus also is claimed to be that by John himself. John claims at the very beginning, and the word dwelt among us. That dwelt among us literally is tabernacle among us it refers back to exodus 29 44 to 46. Not about you but claiming to be a temple a structure seems a little strange to me but it gets more strange because as you go forward into the the the, the new testament not only is jesus claimed to be the temple we both individually and corporately are claimed to be the temple 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17 says, do you not know that you are God's temple? So not only are we, but also there's also claims, and you'll see some of the other verses there, that claim that structurally we are being put together as stones as the temple. So to me, that raises the question, if we're supposed to be a temple, what is a temple? What's a temple supposed to be? So we're gonna go back into the Old Testament and work our way from the sort of the, the near this the New Testament, all the way back to the beginning. Isaiah 6, 1 to 4. Don't go yet. Go back. You're skipping too far. (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah has this vision where he is in the Holy of Holies and he sees God's robe filling the temple and he is like, oh, I'm a dead man. Here I am in the Holy of Holies and I see God. Now, if you think about this, the Jews have this perspective, and so do we, that God is omnipresent He's everywhere, but there's something about the temple that's different. He is there in a more physical, more, more wet, significant way than just he's everywhere. The temple's different. There's something about that, and when Isaiah gets it because when he sees that, he's like, I'm a dead man. I'm not supposed to be here. God's space is there, and he sees that, and he's like, whoa. If we go forward, Solomon's dedication of the temple says a similar type of thing he says god you can't be contained in this temple and yet in some way you dwell in this temple and you're like wow that's that's just amazing so they have this idea that both god is is there and yet he can't be held in it but when he is there, where he is in that temple it is more concentrated more focused than it is god's right here with me right now it's different you go even beyond the temple, you go back to the tabernacle, the precursor to the temple. God will dwell among us and meet with his te- temp- people in the tabernacle, Exodus 25, 22, Exodus 29, 42 to 46, sticking with that theme. So God, here he is, filling this stuff. And so that sort of, with that groundwork, we start saying, well, what's a temple? Don't have whatever. A temple is where heaven and earth overlap. So it is this place where God's space and our space overlap. Does that seem strange to you? It's different. So the idea is here, you know, I, when growing up, I always thought of heaven as this, like, this thing that didn't, it was a, it was a, a place, but it didn't over, you know, it, it structurally couldn't exist here in the same way. So to sort of step back and say, look, here heaven is overlapping with earth in a temple. That's different. What about before the temple? Exodus 19, 9-12, Moses encounters on Mount Sinai and it very clearly says the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. Yes, he is everywhere, but there's something about what he's doing here. He's coming down onto Mount Sinai. Exodus 3, 1-6, to 6, Moses experiences the burning bush and the ground is called holy. There's something about God. It is there in a way that's different than just being omnipresent. Genesis 28, 10 to 17, Jacob dreams about the angels ascending and descending, what some people say the ladder. Um, and Je- J- when Jacob awakes, what does he see? He says, the Lord is in this place. Strange to say that if you were just thinking omnipresence, of course, you know, he's everywhere, so we say that all the time, but there's something about this that's different. The Lord is in this place. <laughs> So, if you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, to first century eyes, the construction of the ultimate temple is what, he, what, we're, what we see when, when God does the Genesis 1 story. And you're like, wait, what? Well, we just said it's where God's space and our space overlap, right? That's what a temple is. What do we see in Genesis 1? We see God's space and our space overlapping. God is walking with them in the morning. He is there with them. The Garden of Eden was the temple. It is where humans had full access to God. In that culture, in that culture, seven-day dedication of a temple was a normal thing. The last thing you do when you create a temple is put in the image bearer, the thing that is the image of the God. In this case, it's a crazy statement. God says, you know, here, here in, 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 this, in our Bible, God says, God puts in his image-bearing creature us, humans, in the temple. We're the image-bearers. So instead of some image of God, he puts in us. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So here we are at the beginning, and this is what, this is what we're seeing. You want to go a little bit farther forward to Genesis 2 to 4? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Now you look at that and you say to yourself, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. That's a strange statement. Every other time, these are the generations of is used in Genesis. It's talking about generations, whether it's Esau or Jacob, anyone else that is in there. It's talking about who are their descendants. Strange. Yes. Okay. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Genesis two seven. What do we see? God formed man from the dust and the breath of God. And temple. We're seeing the generation of heaven and earth overlapping. So image bearer. Temple. Genesis two to seven. You guys, tracking with me so far? Okay. All right. If you don't feel comfortable with the idea that the seven-day thing was was a thing in Genesis, and that that's not that's just well, maybe that is the case. Here we go. Leviticus eight, thirty-three to thirty-five. The Israelites held a seven-day ceremony to dedicate the sacred tabernacle in the wilderness. First Kings eight two and eight sixty-five. Solomon dedicates the t- j- temple in Jerusalem with two back-to-back seven-day ceremonies. Ezekiel 4, 20, 43, 25 to twenty-seven prophet envisions that new Jerusalem and foresees a seven-day ritual. Exodus 25 to 31 and 1 Kings 6 and 7, when we're talking about that Garden of Eden imagery, tabernacle and temple have garden imagery throughout it. Trees, fruit, those are things that are throughout this whole thing. Revelation 22, you see the tree of life and the rivers from the garden again. So this this isn't something that's, maybe it's just the way I feel about it, It's there. It's written throughout, okay? All right, so Genesis 3, we see something different though. Here we are, image bearers. We're supposed to be doing certain things. Instead, we rebel. And so we're exiled from the garden. We're exiled from God's presence. When God says you shouldn't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, he says on that day you will surely die. When they're exiled, do they die? Physically, no. But what do they do? They're exiled from God's presence, and so they experience spiritual death. And most of us get that, but we forget that later and later, there was still a physical death. So there is both spiritual and physical death that begins and then is continued through with this Genesis 3 exile. (laughs) Okay, let's go all the way to the end. Is this still the same type of thing that we're talking about at the very end? Revelation 21 and 22, we see a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21, 3b, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Maybe not clear enough. Revelation 21, 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. So here we are. Genesis 1, we've got God's space and our space overlapping. And what do we see at the end? All the way at the end. Same thing. God's space and our space overlapping. We've got heaven and earth at the beginning, heaven and earth at the end. What happened in the middle? It's the rebellion. It's what happens as we try to sort of get back to that point of Revelation 21 and 22, and we don't get there on our own. Someone's got to come and do something for us. So, summary so far... Jesus is a temple, and so are we. A temple is the space where heaven and earth overlap. The story of the Bible is about the union of heaven and earth. We just saw beginning and end. It's all the way through it. The story of the Bible is about the union of heaven and earth. Now you're sitting to yourself and saying, boy, this earth thing, it seems pretty crazy. I thought we were going to get rid of that whole physical earth thing. It's so messed up. It's broken. What's going on here? All right, so, importance of the creation. So we go back to this Genesis 2, 7 verse. God formed man from dust. He didn't just make him come from nothing. He came from dust. From where's the dust? From his creation. We are made from God's creation. And also from God's breath. Next one. Genesis 1, God God tells, tells Adam... Subdue the earth, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply. Where? On the earth. The creation. Be fruitful, have dominion, multiply. Keep going forward. Here we are. Mo- Noah comes off the ark. He's to be told, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. On the earth. Not somewhere else. On the earth. Jeremiah 29, 4-7, he's talking to the exiles here, people who are exiled, and he says, build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children, seek the peace of the city in which you le- live. That sounds an awful lot like Genesis one28 <laughs> We're told to be doing stuff on this earth with what we have here. Build houses, plant gardens. Continuing forward, John 3:16. for God so loved the world, that word world here, it's not just world, it's cosmos. It's the whole creation. It's everything. His entire creation. God is passionate about his whole creation. Not just part of it, not just us, his whole creation. That's why that word is used there. It's God-inspired. It's not something that happened by accident. Keeping going forward. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Jesus makes a statement, all authority in heaven and on earth haven't been given to me. He's still worried about the earth. Romans 8, 19 to 21, for the creation waits with eager longing. It's talking about this, this, the curse, and he's saying creation is waiting for its curse to be lifted. It wants to be free the same way we do. Quoting from Isaac Watts' least popular verse of joy to the world, far as the curse is found, wherever the curse is found is where we want it to reach to. We want this to end. We want this to to be free, to completely break the curse all the way. Not part of the way, all the way. <clears throat> so I'm gonna read you a quote here. Faced with creation in, his, in rebellion, God longed to set it right. God longed to rescue it from corruption and impending chaos and bring it back into order and fruitfulness. God longed to reestablish his wise sovereignty over the whole creation, which would require a great act of healing and rescue, God did not want to rescue humans from creation any more than he wanted to rescue Israel from the Gentiles. He wanted to rescue Israel that it might be a light to the Gentiles. He wanted to rescue humans that they might be the rescuing stewards over creation. So we're not to be saved from it. We're to be saved so that we can be rescuing stewards over it. So then you're saying to yourself, okay, creation, where's he going here? Well... Summary so far, Jesus is a temple, and so are we. A temple is a space where heaven and earth overlap. The story of the Bible is about the union of heaven and earth. God said very good over his creation. Creation is to be redeemed. <clears throat> so moving forward from there, we get to the resurrection. If you look at the resurrection and the definition of what resurrection means, you have to look no farther than the repeated empty tomb to understand it. This is not some figurative rising from the dead or some spiritual thing alone. Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. Nothing else is an explanation of uh, acceptable explanation of the facts. <clears throat> so then you ask yourself, okay, well here Jesus experiences this, but what's the Old Testament's perspective on resurrection? Ezekiel has this amazing vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, where you see the bones and they begin to come back together into whole human beings. It's a physically rising. It's not just some figurative thing. Here he is, rising, full human beings coming back. Daniel 12, 1 and 2, those who sleep in the dust will awake to everlasting life or everlasting uh, contempt. Job 1925 to 27, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. God's love and faithfulness in the present will continue into the future. For the Old Testament authors, belief in the final resurrection was founded on the love and faithfulness of God in the present, which they supposed must continue into the future. In the fan- final resurrection, man would finally return from exile from God's presence. That was, the, that was the hope. That was what they hung on to. Now, you, you're looking at this and you're saying, well, but did Jesus talk about the final resurrection? Yes, yes he did. John 5, 19 to 30, Jesus talks about all hearing his voice, including those in the grave, and either rising to the coming resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment. We can refer to a couple other ones where Jesus talks with the Sadducees, Sadducees about the same type of thing, but it's about the final resurrection. <clears throat> going forward. Now if you read something like Romans 8, 9-11 and I'm just going to read it for you so that way you can hear it. You are however not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who has not had the spirit of Christ does not belong in him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now most people would hear that type of thing and they'd say, ah, yes, we get spiritual life and that's the resurrection we're talking about. But if you go farther down, you get to Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that spiritual life, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is physical. This is not just spiritual. It's not just spiritual life. It's physical life. We're talking about both. Just like we had both at the beginning, we have both at the end. So then you say to yourself, okay, we've got a new body. For where? Where are we going with all this? John's gospel makes it pretty clear. In the beginning is how he starts off as one. And you're going, wait, haven't I heard that someplace? He's not very creative, is he? Here he is just knocking off Genesis 1. Or is there more to it? Yeah, yeah, there is. In the beginning, John's making the statement here, we are kicking off a new creation. You go all the way to John 20, 20 verse 1. He starts off on the first day of the week. What day? The first day of the week. Here is John trying to make the point. Creation, new creation, is kicking off with what? Jesus' resurrection from the dead, his new body. We get to see new creation in Jesus. John 19, 23, on the first day of the week, Jesus breathes on them. No, he's not showing off the fact that with his new body he doesn't need to brush his teeth. <laughs> he's trying to show that you, if you tie it back all the way to Genesis 2, Jesus breathes on them and he says receive the holy spirit. We're back to that temple imagery again. Here we are, merged. Body and spirit. Here we are. And Romans 8:20 20 to 21, I'm going to just sort of picking up that section in the middle. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All creation is looking forward to this new creation. Major points up to this point. Jesus is a temple, and so are we. A temple is a space where heaven and earth overlap. The story of the Bible is about the union of heaven and earth creation is to be redeemed. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of new creation here on earth. Death is a great enemy and it has been conquered. We will be raised bodily to a new heaven and earth. Alright, next one. What if I'm happy with my view of heaven as it is? Well, here we go. The meaning of salvation is not going to heaven when we die. Salvation means rescue. What are we to be rescued from? We are to be rescued from death. If our bodies decay in the ground and our souls continue on, then we weren't truly rescued. If we accept this view, we are colluding with death. We are accepting destruction of God's good image-bearing creatures. That last part, I'm just going to say it again. If we accept the view that we allow our, our bodies to decay in the ground, we are colluding with death. We are accepting destruction of God's good, image-bearing creatures. Credits to N.T. Wright on this. It's a very dense quote. So moving forward, salvation. Again, I just referenced salvation, but we want to just talk about this a little bit. The work of salvation in its full sense is about whole beings, not just souls. It's it's, It's about the present, not just the future, about what God does through us, not just what God does in and for us. Get that last part? It's not just for what God does for us. It's for what we are going to do, you know, here, now, and in the future. So how does this change how I live today? When Paul closes up his 1 Corinthians 15, which is a spectacular chapter on this entire topic, his last verse, "...in the Lord your labor is not in vain." He's talking about what you're work doing. If you do it for the Lord, it's not in vain. You go one verse beyond, those next four verses, into 1 Corinthians 16. What's he talking about? Please send money for the poor. What? Did he forget where we were? Yeah. No, he didn't. He's saying, please send money for the poor. Let's apply this, is what he's saying. If your labor's not in vain, how are we supposed to do that? Here's a simple way. Please send money for the poor. How I live today can change. Give you a couple good quotes here. The point of the resurrection is the bodily life is not valueless. Just because it will die, God will raise it to a new life. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. God has a great future in store for it. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that is about to roll off a cliff. You are not restoring a painting that shortly is going to be thrown on a fire. You are not planting roses for a garden that is about to be dug for a building site. You are, strange as though it may seem, accomplishing in due course something that will be a part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, kindness, every act of work of art or music inspired by the love of God, every act of care, nurture, every prayer, and spirit-led teaching will find its way through the resurrection power of God into the new creation that God will one day finally make. I'm going to read that one again because it's just, there's a lot there. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that is about to roll off a cliff. You are not restoring a painting that shortly is going to be thrown on a fire. You are not planting roses for a garden that is about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as though it may seem, accomplishing in due course something that will be a part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, kindness, every act work of art inspired by the love of God, every care and of nurture, every prayer and spirit-led teaching will find its way through the resurrection power of God through into the new creation that God will one day make. All right. And now I want to open it up for questions. Because I've been thinking about this a lot, I have questions that I recommend potentially, or ideas. But I'm open to other ones. These are just some of the ones that potentially you might want to ask, because I've been thinking about this for a while. So anyone? You can yell out a number, or you can yell out a a question, either way. Oh, yes. Well, I
1: agree. Your children mm-hmm. and raise them up in the fear of the Lord, that it will be as heaven on earth. And I have really taken that to heart. <clears throat> and I really believe I see in the body of the Christ heaven being lived out on the earth. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade what I see in Christian families and raising loving children for what I see in my neighbor or, you know, on drugs, losing her husband, losing her house, losing her children. Police always there. I would betray what I have for anything. It's incomparably rich. Even this morning, I was thanking God for the heaven that has come down. Mm-hmm. In eternal life being any different often I get to see Jesus sure. face to face and being restored
0: with loved ones that have gone before and so um, heaven on earth is very very real to me okay w- was there um, I d- that was a statement I didn't get a question from that no, I guess I okay <laughs> right I just, just making sure I'm not missing something here uh, no, okay Body Christ comes together. I mean it is just really cool. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely see where heaven has come here. No question. Sorry. Perfect. <laughs> no, you're good. Thank you. Number two. Number two. Number two. Ah, rapture. Descending and yes. Okay. Alright, so um, yes, this one's a controversial one. Uh, we're gonna start with the word parousia. Um, it's the Greek word that is translated for coming. That we usually see so when we talk about jesus coming the word that is being used in the new testament is parousia outside of the christian context there were two uses for that word mysterious presence of god or divinity and number two a person of high rank makes a visit to a subject state particularly a king or emperor visiting a colony or province wow both those seem like sort of like stick so when you use the word coming boy they picked a good word didn't they now we forget in context to this that in that idea when someone of royal heritage or that type of thing would come and visit, people would not wait for them to come up to the gate and knock on it. They would go out to greet them. You didn't say, ah, the emperor is going to come or the king or whatever and when he shows up I guess we'll open the gates and let him in. No, we go out to greet him. So if you go to First Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17 where you talk about meeting Jesus in the air. He left. He was in the air. He's coming back. And where do the people go? They go to greet him, to bring him back, not to run away, not to leave, to meet Jesus in the air, because we're excited that he, the king, is coming back. You can look at Colossians 3 and 4 and 1 Peter 5 5 to 4. Jesus appears instead of coming down from the clouds, so, you know, we've got a little bit of controversy there as to exactly how he's going to return, but the idea still is consistent with the uh, with which is new creation, bodily resurrection, not running off from this creation. Okay? Yes? Um, I remember reading recently that the those who are martyred will rise first. Okay. Yeah, so there's some discussion over those type of things, I would say that that gets into um, less doctrinal stuff, and I'd rather not. So th- there's yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that could be very non-doctrinal and very like hypothetical, and I, those are ones that are very. You know, we don't want to. I'd love to, have to talk with you afterwards about that. That's fine. <laughs> 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 Number six. Ah yes. Okay, so you could, you, I, I worded it this way just because it's a, well, to me those are fun words and I like them. Um, it could have also been, how the heck did we get here, David? Because how much of the church says soul? Soul soul's the thing that goes on, body, leave it in the ground, right? So how do we get here? Greek philosophy has influenced so much of our culture, me included. Greek philosophy in general it believed that the ideal human state was without the body. That's carried on, it's still here. Gnosticism, you've heard of the Gnostic Gospels? It's been around for a while. Gnosticism is a tendency to dephysicalize and dehistoricize, and replace them with ideas and philosophies. The Apostles' Creed was written in direct response to this exact problem. Now you go to the Apostles' Creed and you have things like born of the Virgin Mary. Not that he just was some guy, he was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He rose from the dead. Now, plenty of people say the Apostles' Creed. How many of them notice the fact that at the beginning here we say he rose from the dead, but at the end we have the same statement that says I believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, the Apostles' Creed is pretty dense. Why in the world would they waste their time saying the same thing twice? They didn't. The second one, I believe in the resurrection of the body And the life everlasting. For who? For us. The Apostles' Creed is a direct response to this entire thing that is carried on. And yet, for some cases, it's just been lost. It's been forgotten. Like I said, this is me. I was in the spot. I was not getting this. How many times have I said this and I didn't get it? At the beginning, it says, he rose from the dead. At the beginning, it's not talking about that. It's talking about something different. It's talking about us. Go back. Any other ones? One. One. Ah, good. OK, so um, if you think about it, the atoms and molecules of our bodies are constantly changing through our life. So physically, I'm different than I was 10 years ago. C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote, which is even farther back from Aquinas, about the continuity of form and the transience of matter. Feel better now? <laughs> yeah? Uh, think of it like a waterfall. <laughs> a waterfall has new material flowing it over all of it that, that all the time. And yet, we recognize it as a specific waterfall. It's changing. It's not the same material that's making it up the whole time. But it's, it's still the same thing. We're the same. So when we worry about what body am I going to get? What do you want? Which one? The one you have now? Or the one you have in a couple of years? The one at which point? So the idea is... We've got a transience of matter problem. God doesn't care. He's sort of capable of whatever. He can put you together with whatever. But you'll look and you'll see the fact that the reason to some extent that we bury our dead in caskets and take care of them is because of this sort of confusion and this idea that we need to take care of the body because that way God doesn't have to figure out how to put us back together at some point in the future. (laughs) It don't really matter. God doesn't care. Okay? Did I hear four? Four? How about four? <laughs> four. Four. Um, this one, I, I'm just going to poke some, poke some things here. Everything we act with is re- interact with is God's creation. We are to subdue the Earth and have dominion. Politics? Medicine. What about things like mental health? life-extending advances? How far do we go? What should be treated? Environment, climate change, Mm -mm. shouldn't have said that one. Endangered species, agriculture, boy, there's a lot of controversy in agriculture, climate change, endangered species. Those are all things that are part of creation. If we have the perspective that creation is God's and we are supposed to have dominion over it, we are not being called to be passive about these things. We can't all be experts on every topic, I get that. The church needs to be able to find people who have a biblical view and understand how to approach these topics. We can't passively sit on the side and go, eh, it's creation. It's going to burn up anyway. That's not what we, we, just, we just talked about. There's something more here. We've got to deal with it. We can't walk away from it. We can't ignore it. We can't stick our head in the grounds and pretend it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. seven ah perfect okay who will be raised from the dead is answered in that quote from uh, jesus earlier on all people will be raised from the dead where will the resurrection take place on the new earth joined to the new heaven what that specifically looks like yeah we don't know the only (laughs) what will the resurrection body look like well the only place we've seen some of new creation is jesus Jesus' body is the new, bo- new resurrected body. It is the new creation. It's got some really interesting sort of traits to it, you could even say. It's both recognizable to his disciples, and yet not. He appears and disappears. After he's eaten, he goes through walls. We don't know. The idea is we've got, some, we've got to see something about Jesus' new body, and the fact that it is the new creation, but we don't know fully what it's going to be like. We don't. 1 Corinthians 15.42 So, so it is, is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. That is what we know. Yeah.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: So, um, in Revelation 21, it talks about, Behold, I am making all things new. But it also talks in First Peter about burning up. We don't know. <laughs> it's one of those ones to where at some point we sort of acknowledge that John says, Hey, look, we're kicking off new creation with Jesus, but we don't know everything about it. We know there's some things we don't know. In this case, we know that there will be a new heaven and new earth. Is it that... This new, the earth we're currently interacting with will be just changed or that it will be actually a new one, we don't know. We do know this, which is that 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, what we do here matters and that it will carry forward into that new one. And that's what is important here to keep in mind. That what we do here, whether it burns up or not, the things we do here for the Lord carry through. Through.
2: down, But I don't know the um, location. Anybody know? Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, I don't know it off the top of my head. How many times have I heard this? <laughs> but I know we talked about everything from changing diapers and digging a ditch to. Right. Mhm. Right. Right. And that's why I wanted to use that quote there at the end when I close closing the sermon, just from the standpoint of if it's for the Lord, it carries through. That's really hard for us to grasp how that could be the case. How could, you know, driving a nail into a board when you're building a house for the Lord carry through into the new creation? I don't know. I really don't. Somehow he's not limited. That's amazing. 9. 9. Mission of the Church. Yes. Awesome. So I already addressed this somewhat with the salvation thing. So as long as we see salvation in terms of going to heaven when we die, the main work of, of the church is bound to be seen as saving souls for that future. When we see salvation in terms of God's promised new heaven and new earth and our promised resurrection to share in that new, glorious, embodied reality, then the main work of the church demands to be rethought in consequence. Our slogan should be both we believe in life before death and life after, life after death. That hurt you? Your head, that lasts a little bit? Life after, life after death? <laughs> yes, oh, okay, all right, yes. So, um, what about heaven? Three. Can we go to three? Let's go to three, yeah. So, Luke 23, 43 of Jesus makes a statement, today you will be with me in paradise to the um, thief on the cross. Philippians 1, 23 and 24. He desires to be with Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 9. He he is what would be away from his body and at home with the Lord. John Polkinghorne, famous physicist, has a sort of a, a nice quote for those of us who are millennials at least, God will download our software onto his hardware until the resurrection when he will download our software onto our new hardware. <laughs> okay, with me? So there's this idea that there is going to be something between the time we die and the time we are raised. We know a little bit about it. There's a couple of verses on it. The majority of the verses that we read don't talk about it. They just sort of you know, if, if once you get this, this under your, you know, in your bones that the resurrection, the final resurrection is where we're going, every verse you read starts to sort of, you start to see it. And all of a sudden, a lot of the verses you started using to sort of say, ah, we'll see, look, this is me getting to go, go to heaven. Stop being there. And there starts to be only a couple of them that really are like less ambiguous about that. So we get to be with the Lord. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know whether that's just solely us, whether that's corporately, we don't know. So that's life after death. And then there's life after life after death, which is the resurrection. With me? So that's what we're looking, you know, that's our final hope is life after life after death. So we believe in life before death and we believe in life after life after death. Yes? Yeah. I'm not sure the question of the miller's friend, I don't know his name, but no? he asked about, I think, about a new heaven. Yes. And uh, I'm not totally
2: sure on this, but doesn't the Bible just refer to a new heavens, meaning maybe, maybe the heavens that we see as opposed to a new heaven?
0: Right, right. So there, the, in, in uh, the Bible, there are times where the Bible uses heavens to mean the skies, the things above us. But then there's even the quote where Paul talks about like the third heaven, and that's specifically like the heaven we think of as heaven. Um, and so there, there is this sort of this Jewish understanding of both like the skies, space being the, the second heaven, and then third heaven being heaven. And so that sometimes it's not, it's, it's not always clear which one they're talking about. So, but there are points where it just says new heaven and new earth. And so that we're still unclear of exactly how that'll look. I think I've hit. Oh, yes, Dan. Well, uh, yeah? There's a scripture that talks about us being seeds. Okay. We get to heaven, we
1: don't know what the plant is like, but we are going to be basically sprouted or some kind of plant in that men- mentality. So we don't really know what we're going to be like.
0: Okay, yeah. Because the seed doesn't look like the actual plant. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. yeah, absolutely. So there was just. You were sort of agreeing? I'm agreeing, but there's, you know... Okay. We know that we're going to be different in heaven than where we are now. Yes. Just like a seed is different than what the plant actually looks like. Right, right. Yeah, and it's just one of those things to where they use all of these different metaphors or examples because we really just can't wrap our head around it. You can't... Until you've seen it and been it, you can't really sort of fully grap- grasp it. Yes, Lydia. Can you elaborate and on the mission of the church a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You know, it, again, this this can go back to you know what I was talking about about the creation, which is that the church's focus has been on saving souls, saving souls, saving souls, saving souls, saving souls. It's not the soul only; it's the whole. We are not souls; we are wholes. It is all of us, but it is also the whole creation that God wants to redeem, not just us. And so we have this focus on saving people but we forget the whole creation, it's everything. He wants to redeem all of it. How does it, he start it in the beginning? Have dominion over the whole thing. Jeremiah's version, plant gardens, build houses. Do we think about that portion as living into the mission of the church? Bringing and subduing the earth and have, you know, bringing that to the full creation. That is part of the mission of the church. It needs to be rethought, and that's why I'm talking about the importance of, from the standpoint of climate change, medicine, whatever it is, those are all part of creation, and that is all part of our mission of the church, and we need to engage with that and not pull away from it. Yes? Yeah, did that answer your question real quick before?
2: Be according to which date it was translated or the translators worked on it. Right? Okay, uh huh. So, but uh, it talks about the heavens being burned up, disappear with the roar, the elements were destroyed by fire, the earth and everything in it will be laid bare, footnote, uh, or burned up. Mm hmm. way, what kind of people ought ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward (coughs) to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, that's plural, and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to, now who knows why, it says here, it's in the singular, Mm -hmm. a new heaven and
0: a new earth. Mm -hmm. I never noticed that, I never even thought about that, you know, singular, plural. Right, and right. Stuff. I don't know, I mean, and check it out in other translations, check it out in the green. Right, right, you know, I know the, the, the discussion with the fire, because the, you know, it says it's going to be burned up, but there's also, you know, it, there's a lot of metaphor in certain portions, so like fire can often re- be referred to as like a refining thing, where it's burning off the things we don't want, leaving behind the things we do. But that doesn't, you know, the idea is is like there could be something there, or it could be literally saying we're. it's going to burn, it's going to be gone, we're getting a full new heaven and new earth, and that's really one of those things to where you get the alternative version in Revelation 21 where he says, behold, I am making all things new. Not I'm making all new things, but I'm making all things new. So you look at those and you say like, they seem like they might be opposed to each other. I don't know. Some of those are sort of like the idea of the new body, which is we've got We've got the final sort of answer the intermediate stuff sometimes is a, a little unclear uh-huh. but that would that would be the whole problem of like if you start looking at what's what's around that behold i'm making all things new it's the new heavens and new earth and you know it's it's this obsession with only focusing on the soul and ignore, ignoring the context of what's in Revelation 21. So, behold, I'm making all things new, and it's talking about the new heavens and new earth, and it says, let me show you the bride of Christ, the Jerusalem, and what you see in there. So it's that new, you know, behold, I'm making all things new is right in the middle of all that. It's not just, hey, look, this soulless thing, you know, it's soul only, no body. There's more to it there, so. Uh, Revelation 14:13 was it one about the works Do follow that? Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. For a smaller slice of the pie, yes. In terms of what you just
1: said. Mm-hmm. And that I think that when we pray and ask God to enlarge our thinking, that when we talk about praying for a mountain like Caleb prayed for, that going into these different areas, what does that look like in terms of what you just put up there? You know, if you're talking about I don't want to say it this way to huh? politics
0: yeah. or
1: whatever avenue, your workplace, mm-hmm. I think there are profound implications for us then to go in in the same way that God had instructed Israel to go into the promised land. Now, God still does it, where he subdued enemy. He's still very much at work
0: right. as an interactive yeah, he? Yeah, he works through us in all of this. But it's yeah. for us, I think that's a huge thing
1: to allow God. We've heard a lot today. So what I'm saying is for God help us change our thinking in some ways, which he's faithful to do, because mm-hmm. if, if you've only heard things for just, and thought these things for a long period of time, and all of a sudden, boom,
0: Right. there is a
1: process to digest.
0: Absolutely, and absolutely. Right now,
1: there's digestion that's taking place, and will be taking mm-hmm. place, and to give opportunity for that to happen, because that was a lot to
0: digest. Abs- absolutely. There's a lot to digest. I would say, you know, something like, how are we supposed to interact with the creation? And somehow we're gonna come to an answer in say six months. <laughs> no? <laughs> it's his creation. You know, the kids and I watch sometimes some of these documentaries on like the, the different creatures that live throughout the world. And you just like, I just sometimes I just sit there and I'm like, that is not a real thing. That cannot possibly be a real thing. But they are. And we're we're called to to subdue and have dominion over all of it. I don't know. That's gonna take a while. So, in
1: conclusion, I
0: think
1: I'll just say it this way for me. Sometimes there's a mentality that if we can put it in a box, put a bow
0: on it. Yeah. I've conveyed this to you. Right. And it's not that case. Yeah. It's it's not that case. This is more open. I we've opened a box and we've got yeah. yeah.
1: We're, he's going to continue to show them. Yes. But that we don't fall into a trap per se that we've, we've got this figured out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. We Absolutely. we got because I think sometimes we lose the power then or the what he wants when it's an ongoing thing. I've given you a revelation. Let it do its work <coughs> and, and go with that mm-hmm. instead of compartmentalizing it. mm And then sticking it like in a tackle box on a shelf. And then going on to something new. But that, yes, God gave us the revelation. See it as that. And now God, add to my understanding. And that's why Paul prayed for the church to have the eyes of their understanding open. In Ephesians chapter 1, after he says all these things about being seated in heavenly places. And uh, it goes on about being accepted. And, but then he comes to that place where he
0: makes that prayer. Right. And I think that's a good thing
1: for us to pray and incorporate it into our quiet time. God, open my eyes and, and help me to grasp and not just put you in a box, but to grasp. Because we, I'm sorry, we have a finite mind and mm. we're an
0: infinite creator. <laughs> but that creates a problem right. for me. Right. Very much so. Absolutely. You to, you uh, I, what I thought, I uh-huh. feel, the uh-huh. of the church is
2: um, how you speak, how you deal with people mm-hmm. that are around you, how you receive people, um, it's just walking your life in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I have had the experience... Uh, where I'm in a group of people that aren't necessarily known Christians uh, if they have a sickness or if they have someone who's just died, my response was let me pray with you <laughs> and it wasn't something hard for they receive it graciously right and then i have people coming up to me and saying well i'm not sure i'm saved and then i had the opportunity to mm-hmm. share with them what it means to be saved and uh, they people just walk up to you if you walk in the way Christ wants us sure. to walk absolutely and you have open doors to just share the gospel.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: And that's what I've experienced in my life, mm-hmm. the submission
0: of the church. Yeah, and some of that, you know, it's sort of that sense that people get, which is that because you're the place where the heaven and earth meet as a temple, um, that you carry a power that the world doesn't have. And somehow they sense it. You know, they, they sense it because how can you not? And so, you know, people come, come to you because you're living into that. So I'm, I've probably gone way too long at this point because, yeah. Um, so I just want to uh, go back real quick to my questions at the beginning because I know some of you might be going, well, David, you've said something about questions and then you hinted that B was the sort of the answer. Um, if you go back to when are you alive, we don't want to collude with death and accept the fact that our soul is all that goes on. It is a bodily resurrection. We want to, we want to live into that. We want to f- keep that in mind as we move forward. What about, what do we, what, you know, why aren't we taken to be Jesus when we come to become Christians? What's this thing we're supposed to be doing? It's not about process, you know, the processing department being slow. It's about the, something else we're supposed to be doing. It's living into his entire creation. Souls, s- bodies, the whole thing, It all is part of the creation and so is beyond that. And we need to live into the whole thing. That is what we're being called to do. Thank you.